0: Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of the VC Pruner Podcast, a podcast that provides a unique perspective of the startup world through the lens of venture capitalists and entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dikjay, and today I have with me Anurag Ramdasan, partner at 314 Capital. Anurag leads investments at 314 and has been with the fund since its inception in 2016. Anurag spends a lot of his time working with portfolio companies and their founding teams across tech, product, business strategy, and fundraising. Prior to 314, Anurag led technology and was the first employee at the Bay Area based EdTech startup Edcast. In this episode, Anurag talks about his path leading up to 314, overcoming the venture capital learning curve, key skill sets required to break into VC, the decision making process at 314, learnings from anti portfolio startups, supporting startups in their follow on fundraise, establishing a strong VC brand, and more. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Anurag on all things VC. And I hope you enjoy this conversation too. So without much ado, let's jump in and find out what Anurag has to share. Hey Anurag, welcome to the VC Pruna podcast. Excited to have you with us today.
1: Hey Adiraj, likewise and thank you. thank you so much for having me.
0: No, it's, it's our pleasure, totally. Uh, so Anurag, you know, most of our listeners would know you already, but uh, for the handful of those who don't... Uh, could you, you know, give us a brief background about your path leading up to Venture Capital and joining 314?
1: Yeah, sure. Happy to. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's, it's a bit of a non-traditional path so far. Before this, I used to work at a startup company called Edcast. I was the first employee there. My background is in engineering. So I'm I'm a computer engineer. I've always identified myself as a programmer. I still continue to do that. Even now I write code. Um, so in, in some sense, that still remains sort of my first identity. And I I joined EdCast out of my home in Mumbai. Uh, we didn't have an office or anything. We I was just the first employee. It was barely a company, right? So I used to just work from my apartment. The founder had sold his uh, previous company for a very large sum. And this was his second venture he was based out of the bay area we met online and that's how that's how uh, it kind of got started subsequently i i also went to the bay area spent some time there work uh, work predominantly on tech over there but you know, as as the as the first employee you get to see a bit of action from all fronts and that's that's kind of how it became a more rounded experience for me in startups there and there was, was a very very interesting learning curve um, spent about four years at EdCast. The, the company is fairly large now. They've closed their Series C round recently. We have Menlo Ventures, G Ventures, SoftBank as our investors. So it's 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 a significantly large company. Uh, built a lot of tech there, helped set up their Mumbai office, had a lot of people over there also. And, you know, it's the, it's the natural journey over a period of time, right? You start as that guy sitting and uh, writing code and pushing commits all day to being the guy who manages a lot of people which you know when you're a young programmer it's it's not the same kind of fun so that's where about um, four four years later i decided to move on i quit my job at that point i i wasn't very sure what the next next steps would look like the only thing i had in my mind was i i needed some change i needed to do something different then then the opportunity of you know three one four sort of came knocking it wasn't something I was completely prepared for, but at the same time, I wouldn't say I was completely unprepared for. I mean, I'd spent four years at a startup doing too many things uh, all over the place, right? So I, I'd seen bits and pieces of what it takes to run different parts of a startup, but I was—I don't think I was still in no ways to say fully qualified to be a VC it's only now that you know when i look back i also realize no one that's joining vc for the first time is ever you know fully qualified so it's just that kind of a profession where you have to get in and start learning but but that's how in early 2016 i moved to bangalore got uh, started with 314 capital and um, i've been here now now it's it's about uh, a little over uh, 5 years that i've been at 314
0: Awesome and that's that's a fascinating journey and you know you touched upon an interesting point about anyone joining VC is not prepared for you know what it's going to throw at you so you know when you look back to when you started and now when you are 5 years in your role you know as a VC what was your approach to you know overcome the learning curve that is required to become a good VC over time what was that journey like So it's
1: it's one of those things that everyone knows but it's it's still very hard to do which is that to be good at being a VC, you have to just continue and, and not just VC right? to be good at being an investor. Like Like there is a very common wisdom in public market, which is that the only way you can learn about markets is by being in the market. Right. You can't, you can't read a textbook about, you know, fundamental analysis or read documents and documents about reliance and think that you're an expert at the markets. It doesn't work like that. So you have to get in there. You have to start making investments and you have to have the heart to see. Maybe some of them fail also, right. To to be able to learn what it takes to be a good VC. If your goal is, you know, day one, I'm just going to make flawless bets. In all likelihood, you're not going to make bets and looking back that's been the biggest lesson right i mean and at least in early stage see if you're if you're talking about growth and all it's different there's there's data points there's execution history there's a lot of track record in early stage um, area that we deal with a lot of that just doesn't exist so you you need to be able to jump in uh, you have to get started and you have to keep making investments to learn there really isn't any other way. There really isn't a you know, secret sauce or a shortcut here, right? I mean, and, and that takes time. You, uh, you don't become a good investor in two years. Doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes you can have your first investment, go to IPO. Like it's, it's amazing. It's great if that happens, but you can't rely on that working at all times, right? So, so that's looking back. That's the thing, you know, get started and get moving very fast. Nothing matters more in the investment space than making investments.
0: That's profound. And, you know, once you once you were in and once you realize you're getting is the way to, you know, learn, what was your focus area? I mean, just to improve yourself as a VC every day, did you focus on specific sectors or was it more about, you know, let me take whatever is on my plate and then tackle it and try to learn, you know, how the deal making works here?
1: So that's <laughs> it's a it's a good question, and that's the you know that's the tough part here. See, in India, from the outside, people still don't realize that. But VC is a very very competitive space. Hundred percent. There is a lot of competition for a few concentrated deals. I mean, VCs are very well capitalized in this country, so everyone wants to get into the best possible deals and keep putting money into those deals. Um, so if you come with this thinking that, let me look at what's on my plate, you're already sort of on a losing path, right? You have to actively decide what goes into your plate. You have to go find those kind of companies. And again, that that's another thing which, which creates a significant barrier to entry in VC, because if you're a new person who's just entered and who doesn't know what kind of companies he or she should be looking at, how are you going to actively go out and find companies? Right, it's a, it's sort of that chicken and egg kind of a problem, right? Do do I learn VC or do I learn how to find companies? Because without building sectoral expertise, you don't know what kind of companies to go look for. If you don't go look for companies, you just have nothing in your portfolio, right? So it's it's important to break out of that. It's important to at least in the early days bet on yourself to some extent, where you have the confidence to say, you know what, maybe maybe I understand SaaS better. Let me just go, you know, find SaaS deals. Let me just take a few bets. And I'll also bet on myself that if I'm doing some SaaS deals, I'm going to make it work, right? I'll sit with the founders. I'll do whatever they ask me to. I'll I'll ensure that these companies are becoming successful. And I'll, I'll, I'll make sure whatever contribution is expected from me is done, right? And it's a, a different way to work. It's very, I mean, in the early stage, it is stuff like that, right? I mean, think about it. If you're a first time VC, why should a founder give you an allocation into their round? You have to go out of your way and just prove that you are worth it. You are the kind of partner that a founder wants. And um, I think, I think that's where conviction in yourself and just jumping in matters for me i've taken quite a bit of bets in the consumer tech space i've taken quite a bit of bets in the saas space some in fintech spaces that we did understand selectively enough we we also took quite a few bets in deep tech enterprise also worked out in hindsight it worked out at that point it took it took a lot of work it wasn't easy but but you have to you have to do that as a new vc because see vc also has evolved quite a bit in india right i mean Uh, founders are not just chasing a brand name anymore founders are also chasing the right kind of person within that brand founders know it's not just about this VC fund it's the right analyst right associate right partner everything at that VC fund so the firm has to do its work and you also have to do your own work this is like the one of the toughest times to be in VC and one of the best times to be a founder but I think uh, I think that's what makes it so much more interesting
0: too. Totally. 100% agree. And, you know, from what you said, I gather is, uh, you know, having a proactive approach is a starting point. You know, you can't be reactive uh, when you are in VC. Only being proactive and only actually getting in and getting your hands dirty will give you the experience that you need to become a better VC with time. And like yourself, uh, most of the team members at 3 and 4 have no prior VC experience. And when we had Pranav on the show, you know, he mentioned that it helps bring a fresh outside-in perspective to investing. And also form an unbiased opinion, you know, when you're evaluating startups compared to, say, for example, an industry expert who would have a specific way of looking at ideas and evaluating startups. So, you know, this team setup is definitely unique compared to, you know, other funds that we have in the country today. And that is encouraging, you know, for folks that don't come with a traditional IB consulting background and want to get into VC. So the question is, you know, if you had to hire someone today at 3Win4, what would you look for in the candidate? Uh, assuming they do not have you know, any prior VC experience.
1: So <laughs> it's, a, it's a good question. See, uh, for us, like when we started with three and four, we didn't have any VC background. I don't come from, you know, a very like IITM or consulting kind of background. So it would be, it would be very, you know, very odd of me to ask for that kind of background only to hire. So what I looked for at least, at least in my team was what kind of unique value can someone bring in? Look, there is a certain kind of expectation that every founder has from VCs. yeah, And I think you have to meet that minimum sort of criteria, but uh, just doing that and just the status quo it is not good enough so what do you what do you bring on top of that and uh it's been phenomenally you know surprising uh for us also as we've looked for these kind of candidates i mean we've hired people who who are from backgrounds where you know the the minimum qualifications obviously they meet but they may have just some very incredibly strong tech background and that just adds a whole different aspect to our deal flow but at the same time a whole different aspect to how we engage with our portfolio companies um, some just bring a phenomenal network or the ability to open up a phenomenal network and that just completely changes the way we look at new deals or we open up new partnerships for our portfolio companies right so you know besides the basic expectation what new things are you bringing to the table see it's a thing that we also have to work with because we are a new ec firm we've, we've started from scratch we also need people who have that zero to one mentality you need to be okay to get your hands dirty to get get running on the ground and build something from scratch rather than just thinking about how we can interact ten and then take it to 100 and uh, that's a that's a certain kind of profile that's just a certain kind of person um, that ends up finding that culture fit with us
0: got it no, well, that's amazing. And, you know, good to hear it all, you know, eventually comes down to how you, how you can add value to your portfolio companies and how you can, you know, look at more and more founders or more and more startups, which we call deal flow. Yeah, And that makes sense, you know, because today, like we discussed earlier, capital is no more a moat. The moat is how much value add can you bring? How well do you gel with the founder and how, how can you be a long-term partner for a startup who is looking to raise funds? And I'll come to, you know, that aspect in a bit, uh, you know, next, I want to talk about, you know, the decision making process as a VC fund, you know, at 314. If you could, you know, just tell us what's the process flow after you look at a company? What are the steps that you go through internally to reach a decision whether to invest or not?
1: (laughs) Uh, Honestly, we have a a more optimistic decision making process where um, our, our focus is not on what's wrong or what's missing with the company, but rather more on what's what's really working. Is the market your advantage? Is the team to the advantage of the company? What's what's really standing out? Because of things that are missing are fairly small. We also know we've done enough work with enough founders so far that we'll, we'll be more than happy to work with the new companies and help them fix it. Um, but if, if the company is not able to show us where things are really working, then it becomes a tough sell for us, right? So we we like to bias ourselves in favor of the founders that way. Uh, show us shows us a few handful of things that's really working, and we are in. We'd love to double down and uh, work with you guys and help you scale it up. And internally, also the process is it's very short, very quick, from a decision making standpoint. Because again, we are a small team. The entire investment team is five people. Two of us, Pranav and I, will lead deals. So it it really isn't a lot of bureaucracy or anything. It's fairly straightforward as a process, and uh, just between the five of us, if we are able to build conviction, it's it's just a done deal. It's that simple, right? So so we we try to move quickly. I mean, just to give you a sense, we launched our most recent fund in September of last year, and uh, we we're close to twenty deals from that fund. So that's the pace that we move at, right? It's almost it's almost been two deals a month. And very, very phenomenal companies, very phenomenal founders. We've been we've been very blessed to have a deal flow of some really amazing founders. And yeah, man, the, the idea is to focus on speed and in the early stage, wasting too much time on unnecessary details is detrimental to everyone, uh, especially given the current market, right? Where everything's just moving so quickly. So we like to optimize for speed and founders time.
0: Right. And like you said, you know, having a lean investment team kind of helps to avoid group thing as well, which could bring in bureaucracy, which could delay your decision-making itself, you know, in the long run. And in VC, you know, the the tricky part is you don't know whether you've made the right decision till you see returns from your startups and which is generally several years down the line from when you made the decision. And it's the same even for, you know, uh, bets that you missed and that become your anti-portfolio. So... Could you talk about, you know, a couple of anti-portfolio companies and did you try and revisit those deals and, you know, kind of optimize or tweak anything in your investment approach, uh, looking at those deals?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course, right. I mean, this is this is always a very, very important facet of looking at uh, startups, which is that for whatever reason, right, whether whether it's something that you don't understand or sometimes it's it's just a matter of you not having time to do some of these things, right? But it is important to always revisit and look at stuff. So just to give a sense, in the in the most recent crop, a couple of deals that do come to mind because they, they both made very recent announcements. One, one is a company called uh, City Mall, which is doing pretty well now. We, we didn't go ahead with that because at that point for us, uh, that space was not a priority. You know, we always we always thought the founders were pretty good, uh, pretty solid. Um, you know, I remember my chats with Angad and doing doing very very well now. Uh, recently closed around. and uh, you know sometimes sometimes you miss out on a deal simply because that's not something you are focusing or prioritizing right now. But um, you also want to then take a step back and reevaluate what markets do you prioritize at the right time, right? Because timing matters quite a lot. The other deal um, that I was thinking of was um, this company called InfraMarket, which recently raised a fairly large round from Tiger. And uh, at that point, the reason we could move ahead also was that we were in parallel doing so many deals that we simply had a bandwidth constraint. And uh, that, again, uh, you know, begs you to think, OK, maybe I should just have a larger team and not miss out on anything at all. Right. Um, it's a, it's a conscious trade off we made at that point, but that's, uh, you know, that's, that's another larger part of the thinking, which is that, you know, it's your anti-portfolio may not necessarily always also be about your investment decision-making, but many other factors, right? What do you focus at what time? How much bandwidth do you have? How big is your team? There are just, there are just so many factors that come into play. When you even look at anti-portfolio, the learnings are credible and it's, VCU. you, you can't just hire 10 people overnight. It doesn't work like that. You just have to look at it, you know, in a very longer term and in a very sensible manner. But uh, look, we, we see about 5,000 startups every year, maybe, maybe more. It's, it's a lot of learnings from anti-portfolio, whether they become incredibly successful or fail to do so, right? I mean, maybe like investing in half a percent of the deals that we see. So there's 99.5% of learning. And that's, that's something we continuously remain to be conscious about. We continue to track a lot of these companies, reach out to them again. That's a very big part of the workflow for us.
0: No, I think that's very helpful. And, you know, talks about the competition, uh, you know, in VC today. Like we touched upon earlier, you know, it's a founder's market today and, you know, if leading VC firms in the country have anti-portfolio names which are going and becoming unicorns, it's a good thing for the ecosystem overall and a good thing definitely for the founders uh, that, you know, they have takers and there's not a limited pool of VCs to raise funds from. I would see that, you know, as a, as a positive overall for the ecosystem.
1: And and another, another very positive thing is, you know, there's just so many different kinds of founders and so many different kinds of VCs that it's become less stringent on the anti-portfolio side. Also, there are many good cases where I've, I've spoken to a founder. I really liked it. It just didn't feel like the kind of space or thesis we would invest in and that's the only reason we said no and we were fairly certain this founder she is going to get a good vc on board and she is going to make a big success it's just not for me right so you're okay to say no to very good companies also because there are just too many very good companies out there today
0: yeah 100 and you know you would want to over index on what your thesis is and what's your strength as a vc and what kind of value add, you know, you can bring to the startup.
1: See, there's no there's no point in hurrying and jumping into a company just because you think it's hot, but then you are a dead weight on the cap table, right? Because you have no clue about the space you just got in because it's hot. Yeah. Um. That that doesn't help anyone in the long run. I'd rather focus my interests over spaces that I really understand and I know how to be a support to the founders for.
0: Yeah, 100% agreed. You know, that will be a good segue to, you know, discuss value add that you know, 314 brings to startups, uh, you know, one, one of the important metrics uh, for an early stage VC is how many of their portfolios are able to raise follow-on rounds uh, funding. Mm-hmm. So want to speak to that and understand, you know, how does 314 get involved? Uh, what is it that, you know, you bring when, when it comes to raising follow-on rounds for your portfolio companies?
1: Yeah. I mean, our, our involvement has been fairly diverse because, you know, what, what we've realized is, unfortunately, there's no, there's no template that works. Right, because different founders have different expectations and different needs, and we just have to learn to adapt accordingly. Um, so, you know, in a, in a very standard manner, obviously, there is a vast network that we bring of follow on funds. You know a lot of VCs in the ecosystem, a lot of growth funds, growth VCs, PE's, all of that. Uh, so the network is obviously readily accessible to all the founders, but you know there, there is just so much things to be done before that too that gets uh, glossed over sometimes. Which is you know what should the narrative be in this market in this space? What kind of metrics are being focused on, what kind of values are being stressed upon in the market that investors like. So we we do a lot of active work for our founders that way. We we try to keep a pulse on the market, keep giving feedback to the founders on what the reality outside looks like, because see the best founders know how to put their heads down, ignore the noise and build the company, right? But, but at the same time, that also affects how much news from the market comes to them. And we try, we try to do our best to sit in between and be the guys eliminating the noise and sending all the right signals to the founders. And I think, I think more than anything, that is where, you know, some of our founders have also seen a lot of value um, and appreciate it. And um, like, look in house, we now have a full fledged growth team that helps our founders with all of this, right. Getting the story, right. Getting the deck, right. The whole presentation, everything, talking to the Correct funds, talking to the right funds at the right time, uh, deciding when to raise, when not to raise, all of that stuff. So we've we've now institutionalized a full-fledged team at 314 just to do that.
0: Got it. Yeah, and and I think it's very helpful because you know, the founders' primary job is to run the company and think about how you can grow the company, grow your revenues, grow your customers. And fundraising is just, you know, one aspect, but kind of, you know, distracts the founder in some ways from an operational standpoint. So, you know, having a VC that comes in and uh, helps you support, especially on the fundraising side, uh, is definitely helpful. And, you know, just to flip the frame of reference here, uh, from your perspective, what have you seen, you know, what is it that the best founders focus on, you know, when they are raising a follow-on round? What have been your observations? So
1: what we've seen is that the best founders have always had a very strong inward focus. They know really what works for their company and they try to grow it. And when you grow your business in a very sane, sensible manner, it becomes tough for larger investors to say no. If you know really, really what stands out in a space like yours, if you know how to achieve that, then that's what really other investors are looking at, right? I mean, smaller issues here and there, every investor is willing to uh, ignore uh, as long as the founder knows their fundamentals right and and those are the guys where we have seen the strongest demand so just to give you a sense a company like a open bank open or a company like Cool. Given the nature of their business, their focus was always on building a very strong and very cheap distribution because being ubiquitous matters for platforms like these. And that attracted enough investors. Uh, And this is just a proof of just the quality of the founders and their focus, right? In a company like Licious, more than anything, the consistency of product quality matters. And the founders are just, just crazy about achieving something like that. Uh, and that's, that's worked phenomenally well for the company. You, I mean, the re- recent round was uh, a very massive round purely because of this. So, so I, think, I think that's how we look at founders also. The founders, how well they understand their segment and how focused are they on their execution. I think uh, nothing, nothing matters more than that in this market.
0: No, I think that's really profound and very important perspective, you know, especially for founders who've raised their seed and are now looking to, you know, raise follow on rounds. And like you said, you know, there's not nothing that beats knowing your uh, sector, knowing how how to stand out and focusing on the North Star that can drive your company uh, forward. Uh, moving on, you know, I want to touch upon um, the aspect of building a strong VC brand. Uh, generally, it takes 7 to 10 years to establish a brand in VC. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 3 and 4 has established a strong brand in less than five years, you know, I'm starting your first one. So, You know, first of all, what do you think are the key elements to build a strong VC brand in general? And maybe, you know, as a follow up, you can tell us, you know, what has helped you at 314 uh, to build a strong brand, Uh, not just among founders, but also, you know, uh, other stakeholders like fellow VCs who want to refer deals to you or LPs who want to, you know, commit dollars back into your next fund that you're raising. So there are, you know, multiple stakeholders involved as well uh, when you're trying to build a VC brand
1: um i mean look at some point you know it's it's the work you do right look every every firm out there today has uh, enough access to content media all of that stuff right there is just i mean if i want to put out like 10 blog posts a day starting today i could do that um and and that helps amplify your value quite a lot but obviously to amplify your value you need to start with having some value right um and that that only reflects from the kind of work you do and that only comes from word of mouth it has been by learning so far right i mean our best deals that we do are often referred to us they are not something we hunt down or something that comes cold and bound to us it's often referral and there's a reason for that right in the early days also when we sort of uh, got started look we were we were doing deals we wanted to make sure they were successful And we just sat down and did whatever work the founders expected us to do some successfully, some not so much, but we we always were there to do the work. And it wasn't planned that way, but looking back, I think the founders saw that the founders appreciated that some of our co-investors saw that some of our co-investors appreciated that, and that sort of started snowballing over time. Where we would get um, more referrals, more good quality deals from them, right? I mean, founders would refer other founders that they thought would truly benefit from working with us, and you know, it became sort of like a first level of filter in our deal flow itself, and that helped a lot. And I think, I think even today, we don't, we are not, we're not that strong, or we are not good. I don't know, but we don't do a lot of uh, PR kind of stuff. But the word of mouth has been, luckily, pretty good, pretty strong for us, and we're very grateful to the founders and co-investor ecosystem that way. And that's that's what's really worked. And I mean, it's 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 sort of a second-order effect of just sitting down and doing your job twenty-four-seven.
0: Agreed. I think uh, Anurag, that's definitely a helpful perspective, especially talks about how challenging it is to you know build a brand in VC. Uh, and like you said, you know, most of the deals, good deals that you've made, have been inbound. And more because of the way you worked with founders, the way you worked with your fellow VCs, uh, and it compounds with time. So there's no easy way to, you know, building that that kind of a brand. And it takes some time. um, It takes a lot of, you know, hard work on the ground with the founders to to build that kind of a brand. Uh, Anurag, with that, and before we move into our final segment, which is a rapid fire, you know, one last question. And I like to ask this to, you know, a lot of our guests. How has being in VC influenced your personality over the years, Uh, you know, being with three and four and working with founders uh, over the last five years, how has that influenced you as a person today?
1: It's, (laughs) it's a, that's an interesting question because it just affects on many different levels, right? So I think, I think a couple of key takeaways, one is it's, it's something that keeps you grounded when you think you're getting smart. Uh, when you think you are you really become wise there is there is a founder that will come across and just completely blow your mind away and you know bring you back to reality make you realize that you don't you don't probably know as much as you thought and uh, that's that's always a grounding and humbling kind of an experience it's a cycle sometimes i feel myself going through over and over but um, a, a job that just keeps you on your toes right from a, from a learning standpoint you'll never really know what the next challenge is going to look like, but you have to keep solving them, right? And it's a it's a very interesting place to be that way. And the second thing, which is which has been a big learning, and which is especially for me, right? I mean, as as engineers, we tend to be this very input output driven creatures. Keep keep emotions aside. I mean, everything is structured in a logical manner, and that's how you work. Um, and that doesn't work that way in VCs. I mean. When I started off, I was obviously very inspired by the kind of founders that I used to get to work with, because some of them executed with such flawlessness and they were just so phenomenal that you couldn't help wonder, you know, how, how they're able to pull it off. But uh, when you stretch it out over a period of years, right, you, you start seeing this whole different pattern where it's, it's not just about flawless execution, right? It's also about just the sheer grit and resilience. You see founders go through crazy downturns where you're also mentally so close to thinking that this company is going to be a write-off, but then the founders just turn it around and you just, you just wonder, right? How did they even manage to pull this off? Like, is this, is this even human? Uh, And I think that's, that's been just amazing, right? You learn to like not consider any situation as a written off situation. uh, There's just, you learn that there is never a good reason to give up. And that's just a phenomenal attitude to learn from someone.
0: Awesome. I think that's, that's an amazing perspective. And, you know, no wonder it's, it's been talked about that it's a people's game, uh, you know, when it comes to VC. And it's more about, you know, the founder, his perseverance that talks, uh, you know, more than, you know, what you have on paper in terms of the company, the growth and the other numbers that you try to evaluate in the long run. So, you know, definitely a valuable perspective. Anurag. Uh, with that, you know, I want to move to our final segment, which is a rapid fire. I'll shoot some questions and hope to get your immediate uh, honest thoughts on the same.
1: <laughs> okay, this is where we make headlines, is it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll try. We'll try to keep it easy. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. First question. Um, one thing that you'd like to change to improve the state of the Indian startup ecosystem today? Um,
1: just, just more, more early stage VC's, more money going into the ecosystem. I think uh, the way market has been growing is just is just amazing and it, I think I think this this momentum is just great for the entrepreneurial talent in India so just further going down this path
0: awesome uh, the most unusual or memorable pitch meeting that you had with the founder
1: um off the top of my head I'm gonna say this company called Bugworks. yep uh, I saw them I don't remember maybe late 2016 early 2017 um, you know very eight big old founders three founders all you know, science backgrounds, uh, very elder founders, right, Uh, 50-plus types, and their pitch was they are working on discovering a cure for superbugs. These are uh, antibacterial-resistant strain of, um, you know, bacteria, and they said it's a 20-people team working out of Bangalore, uh, and they are very close to actually solving this problem. And, uh, you know, my first reaction was, can you even do that? Like, how do just 20 people pull that off? Uh, but that was just a testament of you know all three founders and their decades of experience in this space I was just like completely mind blown we invested eventually Um, they are they've made phenomenal progress since then but you know very rarely do you come across founders who whose opening line is we are basically just trying to save humanity
0: yeah and you know uh, it's a coincidence we hosted Dr. Anand on the show as well and for our listeners if you want to you know dive deeper and uh, listen to, you know, Dr. Anand from Bugworks, uh, we covered them in episode 10 of our podcast. So, and it it was an amazing conversation, you know, like, like you said, Anurag, during the pitch, you were awestruck. I was awestruck throughout that conversation uh, with him. So
1: And Anand is, Anand is phenomenal. I mean, uh, every time I talk to Anand, he's, he's probably got a few decades on me maybe, but <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: he makes me feel like I'm some low energy loser kind of stuff right <laughs> i mean just so full of energy so full of enthusiasm such a futurist it's it's mind
0: blowing couldn't couldn't agree more okay uh, last question vcs and founders from the ecosystem that you admire and look up to
1: oh okay this is a, a very interesting question um vcs and founders both okay i think um, among vcs i really like people who are doing something very interesting in the early stage and again this is not a full list just just off the top of my head that i'm putting out i i, I really like the kind of work say uh, mark is doing at omnivore just focusing on agriculture it's a very interesting and important space just to have the courage to say that's the only thing i'll focus in early stage build a whole portfolio out very commendable I'm a big fan of the kind of work, say, guys at Special are doing, you know, Arjun, Chesh, to have a very, very small micro fund and just to say that we will only do deep tech and really deliver on it, it's it's amazing. It's just, it's just mind-blowing what they've been able to achieve. Uh, I, I remember talking to Arjun in the very early days of Special when he had just backed three space tech startups and I was like, I, I have no idea what you're doing, but good luck with it. Uh, and, you know, he's just, he's just pulled off something amazing. So, so really, really appreciative of the kind of work that they are doing in, in founders. I, I, I guess I'll just go back to the previous point that I've mentioned, right. I think uh, I, I don't want to name names, but I think some of the founders that I find the most amazing are the founders, even within our portfolio, who've seen a downturn and turned it around. And they know who they are and is just, that's been the most exciting thing to witness in the last four or five years.
0: Awesome. Anurag, it's been a very fascinating, a great learning experience talking to you on the podcast today. And, you know, before we sign off, uh, any last thoughts for both current and aspiring founders that are listening to you right now?
1: No, I think, look, it's been, it's been said enough times, um, and I'll just, I'll repeat it at the risk of sounding redundant, but I don't think there's been a better time to start up in India, right? Uh, Also, there's not been a better time to be an engineer in startups in India, obviously. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, it's it's just it's just phenomenal the the transformation that's happening in the market, and we are seeing it across all stages. And look, we're always open to talking to founders. We write back to everyone who writes to us. So just feel free to reach out. Would love to explore uh, more what you know new founders are doing. Anything that's that's just new in the ecosystem and innovative in the ecosystem. We'd love to hop onto it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well said. Uh, and Roy, thanks again for taking our time. It, it was a great conversation and hopefully we'll have you back on the show soon again. Thanks for doing this.
1: No, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having me on and making time for me. Good luck. I, I really hope, you know, the, the VC Pranav show uh, just becomes one of the mainstream
0: shows for startups. in Thank you so much. Anurag. It means a lot. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the VC Bruno Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please let our guests know about it, share your thoughts on social media and let them know what were your key takeaways. We would truly appreciate if you could subscribe to our podcast on the podcast platform of your choice and leave us a review on Apple iTunes. This will help others discover the podcast. To get insights and to learn more about startups and venture capital, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We will love to hear from you there. You can find all episodes together on our website, vcpronor.com We will be back again next week with another vcpronor that is making a dent in the venture universe. Until then, take care and keep shining.